it's Christmas time and few organs are going to be working harder over the festive period than your pancreas. Yes, the pancreas has the mammoth task of digesting all the mountains of food you'll be consuming over the festive period. So in tribute to this multi-talented, hard-working organ, much like myself, let's do a short podcast on pancreatic neoplasms. FYI, we are working on the huge task of audio notes for the entire FRCR to a syllabus. It's no small feat and it will take time. In the meantime, we will keep bringing you short podcasts covering small topics. Without further ado, pancreas tumours. We are going to divide pancreatic lesions into three, solid tumours, cystic tumours and endocrine tumours. Dividing things into groups and making flowcharts is something you will hear time and time again on Songs for FRCR because it's really, really good at helping you with memory recall. Let's start with the solid neoplasms. There are only two that you need to know and they're really easy to remember. The first is ductal adenocarcinoma. This is by far the most common pancreatic lesion. It makes up up to 90% of all pancreas tumours. So generally most pancreatic tumours are ductal adenocarcinomas. That's the first one in the solid neoplasm group. The other one is acinar cell carcinoma. This is very rare. We'll start with ductal adenocarcinoma, which I've already said makes up 90% of all pancreatic tumours. Who gets ductal adenocarcinoma? Men in their 60s get ductal adenocarcinoma and men in their 60s who smoke, who are alcoholics and have chronic pancreatitis. Those are the main risk factors. When you're imaging for pancreatic tumours, you need to do a plain scan without enhancement, then do a late arterial scan and then the normal portal venous scan. So you need three images. The most important one to look for pancreatic tumours is the late arterial phase scan. The tumours will not enhance, the pancreas will enhance. So what you'll see for ductal adenocarcinoma is an unenhancing tumour within an enhancing pancreas. So take a moment to create a mental image 
of what a classic pancreatic adenocarcinoma will look like. What you will see on a late arterial phase scan is an enhancing pancreas with a hypodense or dark on CT and hypo-intense on T1, poorly defined hypovascular lesion within the pancreatic head. It's usually in the head. It will be causing duct obstruction and more often than not will be causing atrophy of the pancreatic tail. You may well see the double duct sign which is dilatation of both the pancreatic duct and the CBD. So that's what your mind, your mental picture should look like. A dark, poorly defined pancreatic head lesion causing the double duct sign and an atrophic pancreatic tail in a 60 year old man who is a smoker and an alcoholic and has chronic pancreatitis. Dilatation of the pancreatic duct is a given with pancreatic adenocarcinoma to the extent that if you don't see a dilated pancreatic duct you really ought to be thinking of an alternative diagnosis. The converse is also true that if you see the double duct sign, so if you're seeing a big CBD and a big pancreatic duct, but you don't see a mass, you should still be highly suspicious for pancreatic adenocarcinoma because the double duct sign is so strongly associated. Now I've said the vast majority are hypodense compared to an enhancing pancreas. A small proportion, around 10%, will be isoattenuating compared to the pancreas. And these ones are quite hard to detect. This is where the double duct sign helps you. That should be enough to help you recognise or spot a ductal adenocarcinoma in an exam. And I'm going to say it again. We were always repetitive on this podcast because repetition will burn this information into your brain. So ductal adenocarcinoma makes up 90% of all pancreatic tumours. 60-year-old men, smokers, alcoholics, chronic pancreatitis. Dark hypoattenuating lesion, poorly defined hypovascular in the pancreatic head, causing the double duct sign and atrophy of the pancreatic tail. The best phase to spot it is late arterial, where you'll see the dark bit in an enhancing pancreas. That's the first of the solid pancreatic neoplasms. The other one is acinar cell carcinoma. This is super rare and very, very aggressive and exclusive to old men. Fortunately, for exam purposes, it does have a giveaway sign in that it produces massive amounts of lipase. This huge volumes of lipase it produces gives rise to lipase hypersecretion syndrome which is a triad of subcutaneous fat necrosis, because it's producing lipase, bone infarcts and polyarthralgias, and eosinophilia. So I'll say it again. The acinar cell cancer, exclusive to old men, it is rare, very aggressive, and classically produces huge volumes of lipase, which causes the lipase hypersecretion syndrome, a triad of subcutaneous fat necrosis, bone infarcts, and therefore bone and joint pain, and eosinophilia.
burn that into your mind. Those are the two solid pancreatic neoplasms, ductal adenocarcinoma and acinar cell cancer. We've done the solid pancreatic neoplasms, of which there were two. Now we're going to do the cystic neoplasms, of which there are four. These four cystic neoplasms do have overlapping features, and people can sometimes get them mixed up. So I'm going to try something weird to burn these into your memory permanently. You can use this method if you like. You don't have to but I think it's just so weird that it might work. So here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully to this weird rhyme that I came across. The rhyme has four lines and they're not difficult to remember. So here we go, bear with me. Line number one is, my grandma is often serious, a bubbly shining star. My grandma is often serious, a bubbly shining star. My mum is quite the opposite. We wear coats when we walk far. Stay with me here. We'll start again. My grandma is often serious, a bubbly shining star. My mum is quite the opposite. We wear coats when we walk far. Now me, I'm growing, spending days at work, blood, sweat and tears. While Grandad feeds his ducks and fish and other wildlife near. That was the rhyme and I know what you're thinking, WTF, she has lost the plot. But let me explain each line to you. So line number one was, my grandma is often serious, a bubbly shining star. Line number one refers to serous cystadenoma. It's been nicknamed the grandmother tumour because it occurs in elderly ladies. That's where the my grandma is often serious comes in. We then call our serious grandma a bubbly shining star. We call her bubbly because a serous cystadenoma has lots and lots of small cysts. The definition is more than six cysts that are less than two centimetres. So they have to be small, less than two centimetres, and there must be more than six of them. So bubbly. Why do we say shining star? Shining star because it's shining because it's hypervascular. It's the only hypervascular tumour in this group of tumours that makes it unique. And why a shining star? Because a classic imaging feature with serous cystadenoma 
is central stellate calcification. A few additional points to note about serous cystadenoma, the first in our group of cystic pancreatic tumours, is that although it has lots of small cysts, sometimes it can look solid because the cysts are so close together. This is where MRI is really useful because it helps show the cystic nature. It won't cause dilatation of ducts and it won't cause atrophy of the pancreatic tail. So just to summarise, serous cystadenoma is the first in our group of four cystic pancreatic neoplasms. It's nicknamed the grandmother tumour because it tends to occur in elderly ladies. If you want to use the rhyme, then that line of the rhyme is, my grandma is often serious, a bubbly shining star. It's a lesion that has lots of small cysts, more than six of them, and it is hypervascular. That's the shining bit. It won't cause atrophy of the tail, won't cause duct dilatation, and a classic feature is a central stellate scar. That is serous cystadenoma. The second cystic neoplasm in the group is mucinous cystic neoplasm. If you want to use the stupid rhyme, then the line for this is, my mum is quite the opposite. We wear coats when we walk far. Let me explain that line to you. So mucinous begins with an M. It's also been termed the mother tumour because it tends to affect middle-aged women. That's where the mother comes in. The mother is quite the opposite in the rhyme because the cystic features are the opposite to the serous cystadenoma. Whereas with the serous cystadenoma, there were more than six cysts that were less than two centimetres in size. The mucinous cystadenoma is the opposite. It's less than six cysts, more than two centimetres in size. That's where the quite the opposite comes into the rhyme. Generally, it's in the body and tail of the pancreas. And the bit in the rhyme about we both wear coats when we go walk far is because this one, the mucinous cystic neoplasm, and the next one I'm going to talk about, which is the daughter tumour, both have a capsule. They're the only two in this group of four that have the capsule. A few extra notes on mucinous cystic neoplasm. It is benign, but it does have malignant potential. This is why generally they're resected. That's in contrast to the first tumour, the serous cystadenoma, which is benign. I've already said it has a capsule, but it can also be peripherally calcified. So to summarise, mucinous cystic neoplasm, termed the mother tumour because it tends to affect middle-aged women. It's benign with some malignant potential. It consists of single or a few cysts that are more than two centimetres. Generally in the pancreatic body and tail, it has a capsule and can be peripherally calcified. So that's the first two cystic pancreatic neoplasms, the serous cystadenoma and mucinous cystic neoplasm. The third is called SPEN, S-P-E-N, solid and papillary 
epithelial neoplasm, SPEN. SPEN is the daughter tumour because it tends to occur in young women and children. The line for the rhyme here is, I'm getting bigger, spending days at work, blood, sweat and tears. And I'll explain that line now. So I'm getting bigger, it's the young person getting older, but also because these tumours tend to be large. Spend my days at work, spend is the spend, so you can identify which one it is. The blood, sweat and tears refers to the heterogeneous nature of the lesion. It's got solid areas, it's got cystic areas and hemorrhage is very common. We already know that it has a capsule along with the previous mucinous cystic neoplasm. That's three out of four. Serous cystadenoma, mucinous cystic neoplasm and solid and papillary epithelial neoplasm which from here on in I'm going to call SPEN. This brings us to our final cystic pancreatic neoplasm, IPMN, Introductal Papillary Mucinous Neoplasm, the workhorse bread and butter of all hepatobiliary MDTs. If you're using the rhyme, then the line for the IPMN is, while grandpa feeds his ducks and fish, and other wildlife near. Grandpa, obviously because it's nicknamed the grandfather tumour, generally occurs in elderly males. Now IPMNs can range from completely benign to really aggressive. The rhyme says that granddad's feeding his ducks, which actually references duct, because IPMNs will arise from a duct, either the main pancreatic duct or a side branch duct. If it's the main pancreatic duct, these have a higher potential to be malignant. And why is grandad feeding his fish? That's because on endoscopy, the classic appearance on endoscopy is a fish mouth papilla, which is pouring out mucin. What you'll see on CT is a cystic neoplasm that is contiguous with a duct or a side branch of a duct. Any bits that are enhancing or any nodular components to the cyst is what raises suspicion of malignancy. So granddad feeds his ducks and fish and other wildlife near. The wildlife near is just to make it rhyme. If an IPMN is big, generally around three centimetres or more. If you see a nodule or an enhancing component, then that's when you resect it, that's when you're worried about malignancy. Also, if the pancreatic duct is dilated, then you resect it as well. So that was IPMN, the grandfather tumour. I say grandfather tumour, but this is the one that actually has the most variability in terms of who it affects, age and gender. By and large, it's the grandfather tumour. It can be benign, it can be aggressive and anything in between. It will come off either the main pancreatic duct or a side branch. On endoscopy, you'll see the fish mouth papilla. If it's got nodular bits or enhancing bits, or it's causing dilatation of the pancreatic duct, you need to worry about malignancy and resect it. 
That is the four cystic pancreatic neoplasms, and they are an absolute favourite for exam questions. Generally speaking, you will be able to answer most exam questions on demographics alone. So the age of the person in the vignette will generally tell you what the answer is. Obviously, the extra knowledge will not hurt. I'm going to repeat this rhyme one more time, and then we'll move on to the final group, the endocrine neoplasms. My gran is often serious, a bubbly shining star. My mum is quite the opposite. We both wear coats when we walk far. I'm getting bigger, spending time at work, blood, sweat and tears, while granddad feeds his fish and ducks and other wildlife near. I'm sorry if that irritates you. I think it's a really stupid way to remember this. Now we've covered the two solid pancreatic neoplasms, which were the ductal adenocarcinoma and acinar cell carcinoma. We've covered the four cystic pancreatic neoplasms. And now after a short break, we will cover the pancreatic endocrine neoplasms. final group is the pancreatic endocrine tumours, the ones that we've always called the islet cell tumours. We'll start with some general points about islet cell tumours, the first of which is, although we always remember that they are associated with multiple endocrine neoplasia 1 and also with von Hippel-Lindau and tuberous sclerosis, that's only 1-2%. to The vast majority are isolated mass lesions. They're either hyperfunctioning, so they're causing a syndrome, they're causing symptoms, or they are not hyperfunctioning. It follows logic that if they are not hyperfunctioning, they're not causing a syndrome, what will happen is they'll be picked up a lot later. The ones that are not hyperfunctioning, therefore, tend to be larger at diagnosis and they can become cystic. They should be on your differential for cystic pancreatic lesions. You can differentiate them from the other cystic pancreatic lesions because they will have a hypervascular rim. The group that do secrete active compounds, the hyperfunctioning ones, are more common. What do they look like? On ultrasound, they'll be well circumscribed, smooth margins, usually round, sometimes oval and they'll be hypoechoic. On CT, they're hypervascular. They tend to be really well circumscribed, like with ultrasound, and homogenous. Liver mets are common, so if you see in an exam question a hypervascular liver lesion with an associated pancreatic lesion, it's more likely than not going to be a pancreatic endocrine tumour.
Generally, their peak of contrast enhancement will be in the early arterial phase, that's around 35 seconds, compared to the regular late arterial phase that we use for pancreas, around 45 seconds. You need to have some basic understanding of the individual endocrine tumours. They're named after whatever crap they secrete, so let's go through each one. We'll start with insulinoma. Insulinomas are the most common. I've seen questions where they describe a neuroendocrine pancreas tumour and then give you a list of them and say, what's the most likely diagnosis? What they're asking you there is, which one's the most common? And it's insulinoma. Like with all pancreatic endocrine tumours, insulinomas are well-defined, hypervascular, round, anywhere in the pancreas. An insulinoma is essentially a bunch of unregulated cells secreting a load of insulin. 10% of them are multiple and 10% are malignant. Typical presentation is with Whipple's triad. Whipple's triad is hypoglycemia, fasting hypoglycemia, symptoms of hypoglycemia and immediate relief of symptoms once you give them some IV glucose. So that's Whipple's triad. Low blood sugar, symptoms of low blood sugar and relief of symptoms when you give them some sugar. If you can't remember that, you've got bigger problems than the 2A. I've already mentioned the hyperfunctioning ones, the ones that secrete stuff, are picked up earlier. And insulinomas are picked up early. They're usually very small when they're diagnosed, 90% less than 2 centimeters. The ones that are malignant, remember 10% are malignant, tend to be a bit bigger. Like with all endocrine tumors, they're hypervascular. They might contain calcification. There'll be high attenuation on CT in the arterial phase. You'll need to do dedicated protocols to pick them up. Nuclear medicine can be useful with insulinomas. PET is useless because they're not PET-avid. But you can do a gallium dotadate scan. Let me spell that for you. Gallium, gallium, D-O-T-A and then T-A-T-E. Gallium dotatate. It's a PET radio tracer and it's particularly good at neuroendocrine tumours. The gallium dotadate scan has a high affinity for the somatostatin 2 receptors. 80% of insulinomas express the somatostatin 2 receptor. This is why the gallium dotatate scan has a high sensitivity to pick up the insulinomas particularly if they're low grade. The sensitivity is around, it's up to 90%. It's 90% for insulinomas and actually quite similar for the rest of the neuroendocrine tumours. So that's insulinoma. I've talked about it quite a lot just because it's the most common one and it's the one they usually ask about in an exam. So insulinoma, most common, 40% of all neuroendocrine hyperfunctioning tumours are insulinomas. They present with Whipple's triad. They secrete insulin. Small hypervascular on CT and you can do a gallium dotatate scan which is highly sensitive. That was insulinoma. The second one secretes gastrin and that's a gastrinoma. 
Gastrinoma is the second most common pancreatic endocrine tumour. If a patient has multiple endocrine neoplasia, MEN1, then it's the most common. So second most common overall, most common in the setting of MEN1. So what do they do? Secrete a truckload of gastrin. All that gastrin means you get loads and loads of acid in the stomach. And the initial presentation, therefore, is with peptic ulcers, multiple recurrent ulcers everywhere. So all these ulcers and all this acid in the setting of a gastrinoma we call Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. All that hydrochloric acid also gives them diarrhea. So gastrinoma, second most common, but most common if they've got MEN1, secretes a truckload of gastrin, causes ulcers everywhere, and we call that Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. Gastrinomas are usually multiple, usually malignant, and usually outside of the pancreas. Often they're in the duodenum. The ones in the duodenum tend to be small, less than a centimetre. The ones in the pancreas are a bit bigger, three to four centimetres. Like with all neuroendocrine pancreatic tumours, they're hypervascular and they can be difficult to see. Gastrinomas also have a useful nuclear medicine scan because they have lots of somatostatin receptors. A good scan to use to find a gastrinoma is an octreotide scan. Indium 111 octreotide has a really high sensitivity. Remember with insulinomas we went for the gallium dotatate PET-CT and for gastrinomas we're going for the indium 111 octreotide scan. Another point to note is high levels of gastrin can cause carcinoid tumours to grow in the stomach. Once you remove the gastrinoma, these also tend to regress. So that's gastrinoma, fairly straightforward. The next one is glucagonoma, obviously secreting glucagon. Clues to the diagnosis would be, surprise, surprise, really high levels of plasma glucagon. And they also have something called the 4D syndrome. This is four things beginning with D. Dermatitis, diabetes mellitus, deep vein thrombosis and depression. I'll say those again, dermatitis, diabetes, DVT and depression. As far as the dermatitis goes, most patients will present with that. More specifically, it's this necrotic migratory rash that they get. That's quite specific. These are usually malignant. Most of them are quite big, more than five centimetres, and most have metastasized by the time you pick them up. They're usually in the distal pancreas, and like with all other neuroendocrine tumours, they're hypervascular. So that was quick. Glucagonoma, secrete glucagon, they give you the 4D syndrome with this necrotic migratory rash. They're usually big, bigger than 5 centimetres, usually malignant, usually have already metastasized. That's it for glucagonoma. Next is VIPoma. VIPoma obviously secretes VIP, vasoactive intestinal peptide. Glucagonoma had the 4D syndrome, so of course VIPoma's got its own syndrome. 
This is the WDHA syndrome. That's just a straightforward acronym for the symptoms they get, which is watery diarrhea, hypokalemia, and achloridia. Achloridia is just having no hydrochloric acid in the gastric secretions. I'll say that again VIPoma, crazy rare, gives you WDHA syndrome. WD is watery diarrhea, then HA, hypokalemia, and achloridia. Demographics-wise, there are two peaks in incidence. The first one is in children aged 2 to 4, and the second is in middle-aged people. Just like with glucogonomas, VIPomas are pretty big when they're spotted. They're usually around 5 centimetres or more, and they generally have already metastasized. Imaging-wise, they are the same as all other neuroendocrine tumours. Finally, somatostatinoma. Again, these are usually malignant, often already metastasized by the time you pick them up. Presentations and symptoms are variable, but generally as you would expect for someone secreting lots of somatostatin. So they can get some mild diabetes symptoms, gallstones, and then steatorrhea. I have nothing else to say on somatostatinomas. Most books don't even talk about it, which tells you how important it is for exams. So we've been through insulinoma, gastrinoma, glucagonoma, VIPoma and somatostatinoma. Generally, the imaging features are very similar. I've been through some of the more differentiating features. These should not be difficult to remember. They generally all look the same. So if they're going to ask you to differentiate them in an exam, it's going to be based on the clinical syndromes. That brings me to the end of the pancreatic neoplasms podcast. We've done the two solid neoplasms, the four cystic neoplasms and the five neuroendocrine neoplasms. There are, of course, other things that can grow in the pancreas, lipomas, desmoid tumours, There are other disease processes that can affect the pancreas. All this will be covered in our audio notes for the GI module. They are a work in progress. This short podcast was just to help you differentiate and learn the pancreatic specific neoplasms. We hope we've done that. I'm fairly sure if you listen to this podcast two or three times, This stuff should be etched in your memory. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Songs for FRCR podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you learned something. If you liked this, tell a friend, tweet it, post it on Facebook. We're here to help and we love hearing your feedback. We wanted to let our listeners know we are working hard on producing a complete comprehensive set of audio notes for the whole FRCR to a syllabus. It is a mammoth task. We are in the middle of it and working hard at it. We will be making these available as soon as we can once each module is completed. So bear with us. Keep working. Good luck.